Truman, no shave November starts. That's just one day. What? I'm impressed, okay? I'm impressed. Man. Man. <laughs> Sorry. Just, I haven't seen you in a while. And Gabe and I were just talking about no shave November. I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's fast. Um, awesome. Good, good evening tonight. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're picking up in Isaiah 66. We're going to finish up the book of Isaiah. Before we do, a few prayer requests uh, we need to bring up tonight. Um, I think we need to pray. Pray for our country. Pray for the situation that happened in New York City with the eight people that, that were killed and the 12 that are, were uh, injured in that attack. And, and pray for wisdom for our president and, and uh, uh, in that. And then... Um, I got a call from Tricia Schetzel today. We prayed for Steve on Sunday because he was going in for a stress test today and then supposedly going to do a, a thing on his carotid arteries that he had. And, and he said even Sunday, I'm not going to pass the stress test. Well, he didn't pass the stress test. And so he's in the emergency room. They want to keep him at least overnight and make sure that he's, he's in a lot of pain. And so we want to lift up uh, Steve. And then also got a text from... Uh, it was from Justin or from Nikki? From Nikki that she had had a, she, she had got an infection from the C-section. And so they might, have they admitted her? Or they? She's going to the emergency room tomorrow morning. Uh, they may have to, what was the thing? Cut her open again and, okay. So we want to pray for her for that. And then um, the last one I had on my list is, is nothing compared to what, Nikki's got to go through, but I was going to pray for Laura because she cut her little finger and, was, and she had a tetanus shot today. But I'm thinking, Laura, that's nothing compared to the rest of these. So we'll still pray for it. But, but I'm just saying, you know, on the scale there, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, God wants to answer all the prayers, you know, and, and, and so, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> So uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into the study. Father, we thank you for this night, for your love and grace in our lives. And Lord, we hurt for the people that uh, were hurt, for the people that have lost loved ones through this horrific attack, Lord God. And we know that violence is going to increase in these last days, Lord. And, And so we pray, Lord just through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring comfort to those that, that are hurting right now, Lord. Father, that through this situation, that lives would be changed and drawn towards you, Lord. Perhaps there's family members that don't know you, and through this tragedy, they would come to know you as the Lord and as their Savior. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd just uh, bring comfort, Lord. You'd give wisdom to our leaders, to our president, to those that make the laws and the laws being passed, Lord, that, that Lord, we would be able to protect ourselves in, in a way, Lord, from these things, Lord. I know it's not going to be 100%, but in a better way, Lord. And we pray just for uh, uh, for that, Father. We want to lift up Steve Schetzel to you, Lord. And I want to thank you for just his years of faithfulness in the prayer ministry. And now we want to pray for him and, and pray that, uh, Lord, first of all, that, that you take away the, the pain that he's experiencing right now from the stress test. And, Lord, that you would heal him. Lord, that he wouldn't need to have the surgery for the arteries there in his neck, but uh, you'd heal him, Lord. And just pray that you'd get him through this, this time in the hospital. Comfort Tricia, Lord, during this time as well. Father, we lift up Nikki to you, Lord, and we pray a healing for her. Pray that you'd 
uh, just take away that infection, Lord, that they would not even have to uh, reopen her up again in this way, Lord. And so we pray that they did heal her, Lord, give the doctors wisdom in treating her, uh, just strengthen her body, we pray, give Justin strength in, in caring for the family and their new little baby, Lord, just uh, bless their family, we pray. Father, we want to thank you for last night and just for the success of, of the harvest party and, and just uh, the opportunity we had just to bless all the kids last night. And I know we as adults were blessed as well as we just lifted you up, Lord, and pointed people to you and to your word. And we had a great time doing it. We thank you for that. And, and finally, Lord, I do want to lift up Laura and her finger and her tetanus shot and just pray, Lord, you take away that the pain and the discomfort and heal her quickly from that. And now, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Isaiah as we complete it tonight, Lord. What a, a great blessing this has been. We pray, Lord, even this last chapter, you'd speak to our hearts, give us understanding, application in our lives. We commit it to you, our time to you now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, Isaiah chapter 66, if you need a Bible, Stephen has five of them in his hand. No, four of them, miscounted. Raise your hand, he'll bring one to your seat to follow along with us. Last week, no, actually two weeks ago, we, we left off looking at the kingdom age, the millennial reign of Christ, the time in verse 25 of Isaiah 65, when the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the, the lion shall eat straw like an ox. Something that we've never seen in our generation or anything like it. It's going to be an amazing time. The Lord's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem for that thousand years. And after that, the great white throne judgment of God. Well, as we begin chapter, the final chapter of the day, we're back again just prior to the millennial reign of Christ. Look now at verses 1 and 2. We read, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you would build for me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. God says, listen, heaven is my throne. And, and, and any temple that you think you can build for me, I don't need it. Don't need it at all. Now this, I believe, is probably speaking about the temple that will be built at the time the Antichrist makes a covenant with the nation of Israel during the, the, the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation period. There's this, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, many of you do, there's an, an organization in Israel called the Temple Mount Institute. And if you go on their website, uh, templeinstitute.org, you'll find that they have all the, the articles they need for the rebuilding of this final third temple. They've prepared all the priestly garments and sacred vessels for the rebuilt temple. You can view all that on their website. It even trains members of the priestly family to be ready to serve as soon as that temple is constructed. Now we know, according to scriptures, that at three and a half year mark, at the three and a half year mark of the Great Tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to go into this newly rebuilt temple and demand to be worshipped as God. And Israel at that point will realize that this guy is a phony and they'll flee from, from him in fear of persecution. But here's the Lord is saying, when it comes to the temple uh, that you want to build for me, don't eat it. Well, what house is there that you could ever build for me? See, what the Lord is doing here is He's put, putting things in proper perspective. God is enthroned in heaven and the earth is His footstool. It, it, you know, it, or it's at His command. I think it's good to be reminded of this. That God is in control. and needs nothing from us, nor do we have anything to boast in. It's interesting that, that man boasts in all their accomplishments, but the Lord here really gives us the correct perspective on the issue. 
God is saying you have only given back, you know, he's saying that we, we have only given back to him that which is already his. I mean, he created it all in the first place. Again, verse 2, he says, all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. I got a text from uh, Jeff, of Jeff and Barbie, you remember them, uh, apparently coming this Friday night at, at downtown, you know, we have our go team going out this Friday night. Well, this Friday night, they also have uh, uh, the Springfield Skeptics Association. They're going to host an Ask an Atheist Night down there in front of the fountain. There, I thought, oh, this is great. So, you know, Jeff sent me a, a link to their website, and the website says they promise to be friendly and are really just looking for some good conversation. But, yeah, right. You know, I would venture to say the idea of good conversations is to get people to denounce there is a God in heaven and that one day everyone will, that everyone will have to give an account to. Now, to me, it always comes back to these atheists. You cannot create something from nothing. It's a principle of first cause. Nothing plus nothing does not equal something. Only God can create something from nothing. Everything God has made and all things exist because God wills it to. Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand that the whole worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So again, uh, of God, if God has created everything and needs nothing from us, then what does God want from us, as Isaiah says here? You know, he doesn't want big, beautiful monuments, temples made with our hands, but, but, but verse 2, this is what he wants. One who is poor and of contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. What is looking for, for those that, that, that are humble before him? He's looking for a person who, who trembles at his word or, or to have a godly fear of what his word says and what he says and then seek to apply it in their lives. We looked at this on Sunday, just the fear of the Lord, the, the fear of not wanting to please the Lord and to read his word and to hear what God's word says. Oh, Lord, I, you know, I, I tremble at your word. I, I want to do the right thing. He's looking for a person who says, God, I'm going to give you what is yours in the first place. All I have is yours. It belongs to you. So I'm just offering my life back to you. Now here, Isaiah goes on to talk about how the sacrifices that the people will make in this newly rebuilt temple. And, and really, the ones they were making before they were taken into captivity. The Lord says, they're nothing to me. Look at verse 3. He who kills a bull is as if he slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine blood. He who burns incense as if he blesses an idol. In other words, all your sacrifices to me, all the ones that I, we set up for you to, to cover sin, all these, they're nothing to me. They're like pagan sacrifices to idols is what he's saying, to false gods. Verse 3, why? Because they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. They delight in their abominations. Yeah, they, they're doing the religious thing, but they're still doing their abominations on the side. And they're not willing to, to quit because they, they, they delight in their abominations. They're offering things to the true and living God, but they had not established a relationship with Him. So, uh, as we've seen already in Isaiah, all their righteousness is just filthy rags. But they, they felt good about doing their own thing, even though it displeased God. They delighted in what they were doing, but God did not receive it. Listen, you can be a very religious person, but apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're still dead in your sins. Your faith is empty, as Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty three, Depart from me, I never knew you. So the Lord says here in verse 4, Because of this, so I will choose their delusions and bring their fears on them. Because when I called, no one answered. 
When I spoke, they did not hear, but they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. This, I believe, again, speaks about the time during the first part of the Great Tribulation period where God will bring about that strong delusion. Because they would not believe in the truth of Jesus uh, Christ, God will allow them to believe the lie of the Antichrist. Jesus said this in John 5.43, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Paul said in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10 and 11, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Now that will happen during the Great Tribulation uh, because it, it's just the ultimate fruit of what God does all the time among men. When we reject God and we seek our own delusion, He may send one to us. I think again, a perfect example of this is the kind of delusion that comes from those that believe that the world was created out of nothing or by chance. What could be more delusional than to believe that something can come from nothing? Uh, you know, to believe that, that chance actually has some kind of power. Yet for those who insist on believing that, God's going to give them over to that, that delusion. So you want to believe that? Fine. You go on believing that, you know, and it's, you're going to die in your sins that way. So the Antichrist, again, I think is going to make a covenant with this nation of Israel. They're going to rebuild their temple. They'll start with their sacrifices. But God says it's an unbelief as far as Christ is concerned, and they'll have nothing to do with it. So the Lord says, next in verse 5, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my namesake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy, but they shall be ashamed. So the same people who built the temple and made these offerings would go about casting out the Lord's people saying, well, let the Lord be glorified. Now, a good example of this happened early on in Christianity when the second temple still stood there in Jerusalem. Remember Saul of Tarsus. He came on the scene. One day he was worshiping God in the temple. The next day he would go out and hate those who named the name of Christ, even sentencing them to death by arresting them. All that happened until the Lord got a hold of Saul and stopped him in his tracks on the road to Damascus. So Saul, who had a name change to Paul, thought he was glorifying God by arresting Christians. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. He was zealous, but his zeal was misdirected. And here's my point. We can all be like Saul. We can all be like what the Lord is speaking of here, that we can think that we're doing God a favor by rebuking a brother or putting down someone in the church or finding fault with the church but listen, the Holy Spirit will convict our brothers when they're mistaken. We don't have to go around doing His job. If God's part, it's God's part to convict, to chasten, and to discipline. It's our job to love, to forgive, and to embrace. And so, uh, we see here, here this going like that. And so now we come to verse 6. The sound of noise from the cities, the voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord, who fully repays His enemies. So again, we had the people in the temple who were kicking people out of the temple, but, but they, you know, they weren't doing the, 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 really serving the Lord. And now we have the, the noise of the city, and the Lord is saying, I'm going to repay you guys for, for what you've done. Uh, make no mistake about it. When the Bible says, thus saith the Lord, vengeance is mine, that's what it means. The Lord will, will fully repay his enemies. Now, when it comes to what we should be doing, Paul gives us what we need to know in Romans 12, verse 19 through 21, when he writes this, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. 
For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, one of the greatest principles you find in the Word of God is just is this, but it's, it's more difficult, I think, than anything for a child of God to do. Because we want to take vengeance. We want to get back. We don't want to just let the Lord allow to, you know, take care of it. And when someone hits you on the cheek, it's difficult to turn the other cheek. It's like the story I read about an Irishman who was hit on one cheek, and he got up and he turned the other cheek. This time the guy hit him again so hard that it knocked the Irishman down to the ground. The Irishman then got up and beat the living daylights out of the guy. Somebody asked him, why in the world did you do that? You turned the other cheek. Why didn't you leave it like that? Well, he said, the Bible says to turn your cheek, and I had only one other cheek to turn. The Lord didn't tell me what to do after that, so I did what I thought I should do. I got that from J. Vernon McGee. It sounds like him, doesn't it? But I think that's, it's hard for us to do. We find it difficult not to want to hit back, not to use our words to, to cut someone down. But the minute you and I take the matter into our own hands and attempt to work things out by hitting back as hard as we can, we've taken the matter out of God's control. And we're no longer walking by faith. That's why God says to us, you walk by faith with me and let me handle the matter for you because I will handle it in just the right time. If this person has injured you, I'll take care of him. Now, I can tell you again, I can tell you what the Bible says we're to do, how we need to turn it over to the Lord. But I also confess, and I think you guys can confess, confess as well, you know, there's been a few times where we haven't turned it over to the Lord. And when that happens, it never turns out well. Let the Lord handle it. Here in Isaiah, the Lord is saying, I will handle it. I will handle those that are my enemies, and I'll deal with them. It's the Lord who fully repays his enemies. Now, verse 7. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. This is the great verse. In other words, before the great tribulation period, Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. Before the, the suffering and the labor pains that Israel would go through, Jesus came to this earth to seek and to save those who were lost. I mean, what a great verse. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. And then in verse 8, we get back to one of the greatest prophecies that we've seen literally fulfilled in our day. Look at verse 8. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Who's ever heard of a nation being born in one day? The Lord asks. Well, no one until our generation. A nation that was literally birthed in a day, May 14, 1948, by proclamation of the United Nations, Israel was born in one single day. Now keep in mind that there were always Jews in the land of Israel. But from A.D. 70, when the Romans threw them out until May 14, 1948, they were out of the land. But now Israel has become a nation once again. Now ultimately, we're looking ahead to the end of the tribulation period where the Lord will regather the nation Israel back into the land from the four corners of the world. Israel will be a place of blessing. But today, it's a cup of trembling. But here the Lord is promising that what He has said will come to pass. And it has. Now look at verse 9. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you mourn for her, that you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. In other words, God is saying, I have brought it this far and I will, will I not complete it? 
I mean, it's inconsistent to think that God is going to stop this whole prophetic, prophetic plan and picture at this point. He's begun. He brought the birth of the nation of Israel. And, and one day, and here in Isaiah, God is promising to bring us right through that, that kingdom age. And he says, that should cause you to rejoice. Jew are Gentile. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who love her. Why look at verse 12. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then you shall feed on her sides, shall you be carried and be dandled on her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. When you see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and his indignation to his enemies. When Jesus returns in glory and triumph, the peace of Jerusalem will be like a gentle, powerful river that is never disturbed, verse 12 says. What about the Gentiles? Well, don't worry about them. We're told that the peace will also flow to the Gentiles as well in verse 12. Again, this is looking into the kingdom age. Now, prior to the establishment of of his kingdom here upon the earth, the Lord will return to pour out his wrath and execute his justice upon a Christ-rejecting world. And that's what we have next in verses 15 through 17. Verse 15. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword, the Lord will judge all flesh and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst of eating swine's flesh and the abomination of Mickey Mouse shall be consumed together, says the Lord. Okay, Mickey's not in there, but sometimes Mickey Mouse can be an abomination. Here's my point. Here is speaking of really the, 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 the tribulation period. In fact, Revelation chapter 19 speaks of this time. Uh, you can read that chapter on your own, but let me read Revelation chapter 19, verse 15. It tells us this regarding the return of Jesus Christ. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. See, God is speaking again of the day of vengeance and judgment that is going to come upon the earth. People will be judged for their abominations. Look now at verse 18. He says, For I know their works and their thoughts. It shall be that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and those among them who escape I will send to the nations, to Tarshish and Pool and Lud, who draw the bow and Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands afar off who have not heard my fame nor seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. Then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all nations, on horses and in chariots and in litters. A litter is like a, a stretcher used for carrying an injured person on mules and on camels, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. In other words, when the kingdom age begins, the Lord will send out the Jews to carry his message of salvation to those in far off regions, even the Gentile nations, and as a result, the Gentiles who hear of God's glory as their offering to the Lord will help to return the faithful Jews back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. Verse 21, and I will t- also take some of them for priests and Levites, says the Lord. Some of them returning Jews will function in these special roles, uh, serving the millennial temple and the memorial sacrifices that will be going on during that time. Now verse 22. 
For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Don't you love in these last few verses we see God's ultimate triumph. Yeah, we've seen all throughout the book of Isaiah God's judgment upon the nations and even upon Israel. But in the end we see people gathered to worship the Lord in the kingdom age and ultimately in the new heavens and in the new earth. It's as we're told in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Just the joy of knowing that one day all this is going to be over. God's word is going to be fulfilled and, and, and we'll see what God says is true and it's going to be just, just joy. Now, before we finish up with the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has one last verse we need to look at. Look at verse 24. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Now, I wish that we could just have ended on verse 23, the glorious life of eternity with Christ, the joy and the peace of living with Him forever. But there comes a warning. God always gives a warning before He judges. And here God is saying to those that have rejected me, those that have broken my laws, broken my ways, rejected the only way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, all that awaits them is, is, is an eternity in the lake of fire where the worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Now, there's a lot of uh, a ridicule against the idea of eternal punishment and damnation for the unrighteous. Heretical books such as Love Wins by, by Rob Bell have denied the existence of a literal hell. And because of the ridicule, now many pastors are hesitant to talk about hell or the judgment of God or the wrath of God. And they're afraid that, well, it's going to chase people away from church. Listen, I'd rather chance chasing people away from church if I can have the chance to chase them away from hell. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd much rather preach sermon after sermon about God's grace and love than one sermon on hell. But yet because I'm called to preach the whole counsel of God and because God speaks of hell as a literal place, I would be neglecting my role as a pastor teacher if I avoided the subject. And here the Lord is saying to Isaiah that those that have rejected the only way of salvation, they become enemies of God and as an enemy of God, they shall end up in a place called Gehenna uh, where the fires never quench or the worm never dies. Now, Jesus said the same thing. We shared this on Sunday, Luke 12, verse 4 and 5. And I say to you, whoever, my friends, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. So we know it's real. It's a real place. Jesus gave another warning in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, about those unbelievers who would seek to harm someone who is who's a believer and causing them pain and causing them to stumble. Jesus said this in Mark 9, 42-45. He says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and if he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell and to the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. 
And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Now the word there for hell is the Greek word Gehenna, which is different from the word Hades. Sometimes we, we speak of hell using both terms. Hades is the place where those that have rejected Jesus Christ and have, have, have died without faith in God, they're waiting in, in torment for the final judgment of the unrighteous dead. Hades is going to give up their dead before the great white throne judgment of God. Death and Hades are, are going to be delivered up. Death and Hades are going to deliver up the dead. So hell is going to be empty. And whosoever's name is not found written in the book of life will then be cast into the lake of fire, into Gehenna. That's the, the second death. There's a vast difference between uh, Gehenna and Hades in the New Testament. Gehenna is a place of the eternal abode of the damned, the lake of fire. Jesus put it this way in talking about the great white throne judgment. He said in Matthew twenty-five forty-one, that he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you curse, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In other words, Gehenna was never prepared, or intended rather, for mankind. It wasn't prepared for people. It was prepared for Satan who had rebelled against God and those angels who had rebelled with them. But those who choose to align with Satan's rebellion shall also find their part with them in the lake which burns with fire forever. Listen, folks, this is God's word. I wouldn't dare change it nor, nor, nor not speak about it. Jesus spoke more about hell than any other preachers of the Bible put together. Listen, God's wrath and judgment is going to come against the ungodly, and it is eternal. That's why it's so important that we walk with Jesus Christ, that we live our life for Him, that we submit our life to Him, and, and we're part of God's eternal kingdom. But even more so, that we share the love of God with everyone we meet and pray consistently for those we love to come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because the best place we want our loved ones to, to end up is, the, is in the eternal kingdom of God with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, some read this ending here in Isaiah. They see this book ending on a downer, talking about hell and judgment. I don't see it that way. I see it just giving man a choice. God continues to reach out in, in his word, to the people's word, the nations, with the free gift of life that is found only in Jesus Christ. Right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night tonight. Lord, we thank you for this book of Isaiah. Lord, we see your faithfulness, Lord, through prophecy all throughout this book. Lord God, we, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for uh, the promise of those that know you, Lord, to, to come into your presence and to be with you for all eternity. Lord, we've seen the warnings of those that would turn against you and reject you and what awaits them. Father, we do pray for the lost. We pray for those that we know specifically, friends, family members that have rejected you. We pray, Lord God, that their hearts would be changed, that they would see their need for you. We pray for this coming Friday night as we go downtown with the GO team and we go to share uh, the true hope and the, that we have, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray that these atheists would be put down. Lord, that they would have not uh, a, a leg to stand on, Lord, that, that uh, Lord, there would be uh, no fruit that comes from what they're doing, Lord, that people would not pay attention to them, Lord, that it would be a disaster, but, Lord, for the stuff that we do, Lord, as we share the gospel, your hand would just be a, a blessing upon that, Lord. Father, we thank you for the work you're doing in our lives. We thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.